0: it's thursday april 27th i'm brian dean wright former cia operations officer and this is the right report a good day to you ladies and gentlemen welcome to the Wright report your daily news podcast i've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping america and the world First up, Joe Biden raised some eyebrows yesterday at the White House saying something about China that the U.S. military and the intelligence communities would strongly disagree with. I'll tell you what he said. Second, the Supreme Court heard arguments yesterday about a 94-year-old grandma who had her house seized because of back taxes. I'll give you the details of the case and you can decide how you would rule. Third, Tony Fauci is back in the news. He says that masks do not work against COVID. At least not most of them. Okay, I'll tell you what he said. Fourth, we've got more leaked intel coming out of Washington, D.C., and it confirms that Russia's economy is humming along despite those global sanctions. We'll discuss what that means for you. Later, we close out the podcast with a personal reflection of mine this morning. It has been a big week in America's media, given the well, apparent firing of both Don Lemon at CNN and Tucker Carlson at Fox News. I'll share one article with you all about how the Pentagon is actually celebrating one of those men being fired and why I think that is so very wrong. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Yesterday, the White House hosted South Korea's president at a rare press conference for Mr. Biden. Amongst other things discussed was the North Korean threat, and they announced a pretty big step, pretty big deal regarding that country. The United States is going to position a nuclear-armed submarine off the coast of South Korea in the next couple of weeks. That, folks, has not been done since the 1980s. I would expect North Korea and its supporters in Beijing are going to be saying some pretty nasty things about that decision. We'll see if they do anything about it in terms of actions. I'll keep you posted. But speaking of China, Mr. Biden spoke of the threat that Beijing poses to America. And he said something that, well, in the eyes of the U.S. military and intelligence communities, they are going to say he was just absolutely wrong. So let me explain the background to this statement, uh, give you the quote, and then let you decide. So Mr. Biden was asked by reporters about growing concerns regarding China's dominance in the computer chip or semiconductor industry. And there, folks, is good reason to be concerned, right? Congress passed a $280 billion bill last year to encourage new chip factories to be built here in America. In fact, congressional leaders justified the massive tab for the bill because we need to quote, out-compete China, end quote, right? Those words were spoken, folks, by Democrat Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. All right, so that's the background that we need to know for this press conference held yesterday when Mr. Biden was asked about this computer chip bill and more generally the threat by China, to which he said the following, quote, my desire to increase U.S. manufacturing and jobs in America, it's not about China. I'm not concerned about China. The bill about computer chips wasn't designed to hurt China, end quote. Hmm. All right. Well, his comment left a lot of observers scratching their heads because it doesn't match what congressional leaders said, as I just mentioned, on a bipartisan basis, nor does it match the assessments made by the U.S. military and intelligence communities because they have said that, yes, we ought to be concerned about China, most especially their control over computer chips. Let me give you a couple of examples. Last fall, the FBI director delivered a speech saying, quote, The government of China and the Chinese Communist Party are a grave threat to the economic well-being of the United States. They are the greatest long-term threat, end quote. Then later, the FBI director said this at another event. In fact, it was in London, saying, quote, If China were to forcibly take Taiwan, it would represent one of the most horrific business disruptions the world has ever seen, end quote. Right. He was specifically addressing the fact that most computer chips in the world are manufactured in Taipei. Okay, so what are we to make of this statement by Mr. Biden that he is, well, not concerned about China or he doesn't want to hurt China at all? Well, let me offer you what you all likely think based on two recent polls. The first is from the Pew Research Center from just a couple of weeks ago it found that 65% of Americans are not confident in Mr. Biden's ability to deal effectively with China. And the reason for that lack of confidence? Well, a separate poll last week by the Trafalgar Group showed that 63% of Americans think that Mr. Biden has been compromised by the Chinese government itself. All right, so if I can summarize, folks, polls show that Mr. Biden's statements yesterday can probably be explained by the general bipartisan belief that he cannot handle China, all due to his being an agent or a tool of the Chinese government. And that is quite something, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? With that, let me now pivot to one final opinion of what, frankly, I think of all of this. And I'm going to bring in my experience as a CIA officer, and most especially working with some of the most incredible men and women who battled the Soviet Union back in the 1980s. So I want us to just reflect on the fact that 63 to 65% of Americans think that the president of the United States is likely compromised by our greatest adversary. But let's just try to take the immediacy of the, of the politics out of the thing, right? Let's imagine that it's 1981 and 65% of people believe that Ronald Reagan is likely compromised by the Soviet Union. Right. What do you think Congress would have done back in the 1980s if that percentage of Americans, based on a bipartisan basis with the facts at hand, believed this about the commander-in-chief? Right. How do you think that the media at the time would have covered this issue? I mean, Walter Cronkite was still at CBS. What do you all think he would have done? I'm going to let you all decide, but I'll tell you, my experience at the CIA and working with all those incredible men and women back who was just battled against the Soviet Union. Well, I think that the America of 30 to 40 years ago would have handled this moment in this White House very differently. We would have had much greater concern about the facts at hand, most especially the Biden extended family members. With that information, certainly on the laptop, we would have alarm, ladies and gentlemen. And it's pretty remarkable that we don't. And that's true irrespective of whether or not you're a Democrat or a Republican. We've gone from a country that would likely be outraged to a country that just sort of shrugs. Ah, but that's all right. Enough of my opinion. It is now up to you. We've got an election next year. As you probably know, Mr. Biden has announced his plans to run for re-election. So let's see if voters like you think that this issue of Well, likely compromise by our greatest enemy is uh, important, or it's just another day in this new America. With that, let's stay in Washington, D.C., ladies and gentlemen, for our second brief of the morning. And we're going to go from the White House to the Supreme Court, where yesterday the justices heard a case about a grandma, some back taxes, and ultimately, it's about how much of what you own is really yours. So I'm going to give you the details of this case as captured by court observers, Reuters News Service and Fox News. And I want you to imagine that you're a judge and you get to decide what you would do with this elderly woman and this case. All right, here we go. Around 20 years ago, a woman named Geraldine Tyler bought a modest condo in Hennepin County, Minnesota. That's the Minneapolis area. But as the years went by, the neighborhood became increasingly violent. So her family moved her to a new apartment and then eventually to an assisted living facility. That was back in 2010, and she was about 84 at the time. Well, from 2011 through 2015, her family did not pay the property taxes on that condo. The initial bill was $2,300, but with the interest and penalties the total bill came to $15,000. So throughout those years, the county apparently tried to work out a deal with Ms. Tyler, although that's not clear, especially whether or not her family communicated such to her. But regardless, in 2016, the county took possession of her condo and sold it for around $40,000, which when we do the math, that means that after the $15,000 tax bill, there was a $25,000 profit. So to all of my judges out there this morning, who gets the $25,000 profit? Does that go to the 94-year-old granny or does it go to the county? Well, as you wrestle with your decision, Your Honor, the Supreme Court justices, when they were questioning the plaintiffs and such yesterday, they seemed pretty uniform in their beliefs that the county did not deserve that money. In fact, their questions seem to suggest that the county that actually violated the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution, which says that, quote, private property shall not be taken for public use without just compensation, end quote. Well, as you would probably imagine, lawyers for the county disagreed with the justices and their pretty hard nosed questions. Regardless, the court should rule at some point this summer on the case. By the way, one last thing, when Ms. Tyler was asked what she would do with any money that she was uh, given of this $25,000, perhaps, well, her lawyer said that while Ms. Tyler appreciates living in the uh, assisted living facility, she would really like to buy a new mattress and I'll keep you posted with that. Let's now move on to our third brief of the morning. And we are going to leave the Supreme Court, friends, and we're going to go down the street to the CDC and the NIH. And this morning, there might be some nervous federal workers there, all because a former colleague named Tony Fauci gave an interview about COVID and masks. And he said, folks, that, well, those masks don't really do much. Not really. So here's what we know as captured by The New York Times in an interview entitled, Dr. Fauci Looks Back, Something Clearly went wrong. Okay, well it appears that one of those things that went wrong was his guidance on masks. Right, as we all know, the guidance from the CDC, the NIH and the White House throughout most of the pandemic was that you had to wear a mask to stop the spread of COVID. Now, which mask eh, really didn't matter. You just had to wear one. But when asked about the efficacy of masks in this New York Times interview, Dr. Fauci said, "Quote From a broad public health standpoint, at the population level, masks work at the margins, maybe 10%, end quote. So he was talking about the cloth masks or those blue surgical masks that doctors and scientists and public health officials told us all to wear, right? Those things they now say, or should I say Fauci is now saying that, well, they only work at the margins, maybe 10% of the time. Now, Fauci did add that N95 masks were much more effective. Quote, for an individual who religiously wears a well-fitted N95, the efficacy is not at the margins. They really do work, end quote. Well, that has long been true. In fact, that's never been in doubt. But the key to what he just said about these N95s is well-fitted, right? Nurses and doctors, for instance, have to specifically be fitted for them. And if you are, let's say, a man with a beard or whiskers, no, those N95 masks ain't going to work for you. But to be clear, ladies and gentlemen, the distinction of which mask uh, you and I should wear was largely lost when it came to broad public health measures, right? The message was just mask up to stop the spread. All right, so those are the facts and the very interesting quote from Mr. Fauci this morning. Let me offer this final piece of opinion and analysis before we take our first break. And I want to remind you of something. Back in June of 2021, Fauci was being interviewed on MSNBC, and he said this, quote, attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science, because all the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science, end quote. Now, he repeated that sentiment again in November of 2021, saying that, quote, I represent science, end quote. And yet, with this latest admission, he is acknowledging that he and the science on masks were just often guesses or at worst, lies. And look, and what's curious about this 10% number, there is only one study from the University of Waterloo in Iowa, that said years ago that surgical and cloth masks can stop maybe 10% of exhaled aerosols. But other studies have actually challenged that finding. The point, folks, is that there is no such thing as the science on this issue, most especially. And yet, it's another example, and in fact, another number, that Fauci is frankly just sort of cherry-picked in the moment. And folks, when he was in power, that cherry-picking at the moment, that became policy, right? His personal fancy became law. So that, folks, is not science. And we now know that it is not good public policy either. The lesson, ladies and gentlemen, is this. We must always challenge not only the science, but the scientist as well. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely won't hear any ads over the next couple of minutes, so enjoy the ad-free experience for now, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue our briefs this morning. We're going to pivot towards global affairs, and this one has to do with, well, how well the war in Ukraine is actually going. Now, specifically, I want us to ask this question. As you and other American taxpayers are spending $113 billion for the war effort, How is the other side doing, fiscally speaking? How are the Russians doing financially as they try to fund their war effort? Now, the answer is supposed to be Russia has collapsed, right? They're bankrupt. Because remember, when the White House first slapped these uh, sanctions on the Russian government and their economy back in February 2022, Mr. Biden described those economic sanctions as, quote, the most significant package of economic sanctions in history. They're a powerful blow to Putin's war machine, right? Those sanctions have caused the Russian economy to, quite frankly, crater, end quote. Okay, that's pretty stern, pretty dramatic. Well, let's ask, is that true? The answer is no, not according to a top secret assessment by the U.S. Pentagon, and that was leaked by a U.S. National Guardsman. And as we all know, at this point, they were posted to social media accounts over the past six months. So here's what this secret assessment said, dated early March and as reported by the Washington Post. In short, folks, Moscow can fund its war in Ukraine for at least another year. Again, despite those powerful sanctions. All right, the top secret document explained this very surprising development by saying, quote, Moscow is relying on increased corporate taxes, its sovereign wealth fund, increased imports, and here we are, business adaptability to help mitigate economic pressures, end quote. So if I can explain that to you, I I know uh, spy speak very well. So that last part about business adaptability, it's just a fancy way of saying that Russia still has friends. In fact, we have two recent reports publicly confirming just how many friends they've got and how much money those folks are sending to Moscow. The Wall Street Journal reported yesterday that booming demand in India and China for Russia's oil has meant that Moscow is on track to export 101 million barrels of its crude to those countries just this month. All right, that's around the levels that we saw in January of 2022, just before the war. But folks, it's not just crude oil sales that's giving Moscow a pretty financial bill cushion, all right? Exports of fuels like diesel and gas, those are humming along too. Bloomberg News reports that exports of those fuels are well above seasonal norms. In fact, if the rate keeps up this month, Moscow will sell more diesel and gas than at any point since at least 2016. By the way, major buyers, in other words, those friends, They include the countries of Turkey, Morocco, Tunisia, Libya, China, Saudi Arabia, and Brazil. We should also add Europe to that list of buyers, too. The uh, newspaper business Insider reports that China and India are buying lots of Russian fuel, but only to turn around and immediately resell it to European buyers. Nice little middleman markup. One final thing. Look, to be fair, none of what I just said suggests that Russia isn't being harmed by the sanctions. That's not true either. In fact, about three weeks ago, Moscow admitted that they've got a $29 billion deficit just for the first three months of this year, right? They had expected a deficit of $36 billion for the entire year. So yeah, they are definitely bleeding out with, well, war expenses. But I must say, as the Wall Street Journal put it so brilliantly, At every stage of the war, Moscow has succeeded in finding new buyers, traders, shippers, insurers, and financiers for their energy economy. And that, folks, is not what the White House promised us when they said, quote, our sanctions have caused the Russian economy to, quite frankly, crater, right? That just simply is not true. And it means, ladies and gentlemen, my fellow American taxpayers, you all and I, are on the hook to keep our pocketbooks open and our government to keep you know cranking away with that debt-financed assistance flowing to Ukraine. In other words, this war ain't over by a long shot. More to come. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free for now, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. So this week was a big one in the world of media, wasn't it? A fellow named Don Lemon of CNN was fired. So too, apparently, was the biggest draw and all of news, actually, Tucker Carlson of Fox News. Now, I'd like to avoid the debate of what exactly happened and why. A lot of speculation there. But as we look at this issue, because my goodness, it was a big week. I do want to flag something for you, and it's this. The media outlet Politico ran an article on one of these men, and here is the headline. Good riddance, Pentagon officials cheer Tucker Carlson's ouster. Okay, all right. Well, in this article, the authors quoted multiple anonymous Pentagon leaders, all of whom bashed Mr. Carlson for the sin of having criticized the military over the past five years or so. So one of these Pentagon leaders said, again, anonymously, quote, we are a better country without Carlson bagging on our military every night in front of hundreds of thousands of people, end quote. So the other Pentagon official, by the way, simply said, quote, good riddance, end quote. Okay, so I bring this to you because I want to offer you a reflection. Yeah, It's an opinion, right? And it's this. Tucker Carlson has every right to bash and trash our military, just as much as Don Lemon, say, uh, might support them. And the same is true for you and for me. We all get the right to criticize people in power, especially people in power, and that includes senior military leaders. All right, history has shown us that that is really, really important. In Vietnam, the Pentagon lied repeatedly about the alleged successes and failures of that war, Later, they lied about the same stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it's not just the military. My colleagues in the CIA lied about weapons of mass destruction 20 years ago in Iraq. They also screwed up their more recent analysis in Afghanistan, Libya, and North Korea. And yet, what these Pentagon leaders are trying to argue in this political article is that we can't or shouldn't or we should be sort of embarrassed or shamed away from being skeptical of the U.S. military, right? In fact, if we do it every night, that's even more outrageous. Especially, ladies and gentlemen, they don't want us to talk every night about the U.S. military when it comes to the war in Ukraine. And that's wrong. Frighteningly so, right? We need to ask tough questions of our military and be dogged as we do so with information and facts and healthy skepticism. Much like we were, frankly, in the last brief before the break, Right, Sanctions against Moscow are not causing the Russian economy to collapse. But you know what is about to collapse? Ukraine's air defense systems. And guess what? No one told us that. Not the White House and not the Pentagon. It took leaked information out of the Pentagon to show us that such was true. All right. That was that that U.S. airman, that young man, and as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, in case you're forgetting this particular issue, Ukraine is set to run out of the most important air defense missiles probably over the next three weeks. And that means that Russia stands a very, very good chance of not only owning the skies by the end of June, but potentially winning the war. And so that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I will keep bringing you the good, the bad and the ugly of all sorts of events from America and around the world. And look, if the Pentagon doesn't have thick enough skin to be criticized for stuff, well, tough. We're going to do it anyway. Because history tells us, my friends, that we must. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.